0: Welcome to The View from the Penalty Box Podcast with Cam Conner. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Episode 17,
1: I'm Cam Connor, along with my son Chris. So today's episode is going to be Cam's thoughts on concussions, because I know in your time concussions were probably a common thing and probably not diagnosed, and there's a bit of controversy even today with concussions, are they real? Is the NHL doing enough to support players with concussions? So that will be the main topic. We have a whole bunch of other small stories to share and things to note, and the first thing that we are excited to talk about is we do have a t-shirt, so we didn't think it would be ready this quickly, but we saw the logo and what the shirt looks like and the quality, and we are ready to release it, and so Dad, what are your thoughts? You, you were impressed.
0: Well, I was impressed, and I got to say thank you, Chris. You designed the crest, and, you know, I mean, I sure, it's got a little bit of my face on there, so I'm, I'm not saying it's good because I'm part of it, but I was impressed, Chris, that uh, you put this together. And, you know, if it wasn't, in my opinion, looking too good, it was pretty cheesy, I would have said forget about the T-shirts, but I
1: actually think you did a real good job by it. I bet you if you wear it to a hockey game, you will be stopped and someone will ask me what that shirt's about. So now you're wondering, where do you find the shirt? So if you go to www.viewfromthepenaltybox.com merch, so M-E-R-C-H, or we will put the link in the show notes of this podcast, and maybe we will put it in your Twitter profile. So... There's no excuses for not finding it if you're interested in a t-shirt. And we are actually running a contest to generate some excitement for the shirt. So my dad has a whole bunch of classic 70s, 80s hockey pucks. And so for anyone that buys a shirt, you will be entered into a draw. You buy a shirt by, let's say, February 4th, we'll put down, and you will win one of his hockey pucks. How do you feel about that, Dad?
0: Well, thanks for giving my pucks away, Chris. I didn't know we were doing that. I've got these pucks that starting in junior, when I was a kid, and I watched junior hockey within, you know, my area of town in Winnipeg, I would have been happy as a kid, get a broken hockey stick. I got nothing. So when I started playing junior at the highest level, when I got into pro I just started collecting memorabilia, and I got a lot more than pucks. And again, I collected these things before they became fashionable, or there was money in them. So what I have, as far as pucks is, it goes back to when I played junior. I took pucks right off the ice. They were not you know, and and pro WHA, NHL. I didn't, you know, you could always buy these pucks in concession stands. I don't have one puck that was bought in a concession stand. Every single puck that I've collected, and I'm going to guesstimate, you know, maybe I got 60, maybe more. I, I never counted them, but they're all really good with the, the best logo I could find. And uh, again, I took them right off the ice, whether it was uh, after a game, used puck, or from the practice that we got it. But again, I never purchased, and these are all authentic. I didn't know we were giving them away, because
1: You're okay with it? I guess you've already spilled the beans, so I, I suppose I am. Okay, so if you buy a t-shirt, we will get uh, the order, so we will know. And you have until February 4th, and we will announce on the following podcast that the winner. So good luck, and we hope people like the shirts, and we'd love to hear some feedback.
0: So hey, my, Let me jump in there. So these t-shirts, I've got to tell you, you know, what I want is, I don't want a cheap old t-shirt. Um, I know with my buddy Roddy Piper... He's given me so many of his different wrestling t-shirts. And some of them were, you know, some quality t-shirts and other were pretty cheap. And I just don't want to have a cheap t-shirt and put it out. And the idea isn't for us. We're not going to believe me. I, I If we're making money, we're making two or four bucks a shirt, like nothing. There's, we're not trying to hit any home runs. We're just trying to put out a good branded T-shirt, and, and if you're interested, that's great. And if not, that's fine too, buddy. But we're like I said, we're not we're not going to make much, if any, money on this
1: whatsoever. So I have a story. So this weekend, I joined the ranks of enforcers, or at least in the sense of having my front tooth knocked out. So I have a five year old, a three year old, and a one year old, and I was holding the littlest one, and she got mad, and so she went and whacked the back of her head onto the front of my tooth, my front tooth, and the entire tooth fell out. And it reminded me, Dad, of how you're proud of the fact that you've never lost a tooth, right, in a fight. And so... Never lost a tooth
0: in a fight or from a baby either.
1: (laughs) So what was your strategy? Because I know you didn't win every fight. So how did you keep your teeth intact?
0: Well... Truthfully, there's a, there's a couple ways. Number one, I always wore a mouthpiece. Even back in junior hockey, always wore a mouthpiece. When I did get in a fight, I have long arms. And it's like Muhammad Ali says, the quickest way from A to B is a straight line. So when you got long arms, don't be throwing hooks or fighting in close with somebody. You throw them from outside. And I oh, that's how I fought. I mentioned before. You know when you fight somebody, a lot of guys I see they grab each other, then they start throwing them. Again, when somebody's coming at me to grab me to start the fight, then and, and we got a little distance. Honestly, I've already hit you two to three to four times because I'm not grabbing on; I'm just punching. And so when you got long arms and 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 you could you know have a longer reach than the other guy, I've had knuckles stop right on my nose. And, but my arms were a little bit longer, and I remember cutting guys above the eye, below the eye, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, the idea is, and especially when guys, you see a lot of times, guys will, you know, jump you, and you don't even know you're supposed to be fighting. They just start it, and, and you, you're reacting to what they just did. And so there was quite a few times when I've seen guys on TV and in person when somebody jumps somebody else, and that person that got jumped is at a disadvantage, well, they'll turn around and they'll take two or three or four punches in order to get into position where they can start fighting back. I never thought that was very smart. So if somebody's going to jump me and try to get the advantage on me, well, you know what? I'll tie you up and it'll be broken up. We get out of the penalty box. Now it's a fair fight. Let's go now, buddy. So that helped, you know, with me not losing my teeth. I did get butt ends in the mouth, you know, there wasn't a lot of butt ends thrown in those days, but a guy butt-headed me right in the mouth, split my lip wide open, wiggled my teeth each way. There was quite a few times where I could wiggle my teeth, but for some reason, they never came out. I know there's hairline, the dentists have told me that I've got hairline cracks in, you know, your main two front teeth, but again... They're hanging in there, and hopefully, they stay with me for a little while longer.
1: And the other thing you notice with fighters and forcers is often they have messed up noses, but your nose is fine. So, uh, have you? I know you've broken your nose before. So, how many times have you broken your nose, and why does your nose look normal?
0: False. I have never broken my nose. I have got punches, but. My wife, who I've dated since we're 15 years old, so she's seen me in a gazillion fights, street fights, hockey fights, and, uh, she says I got a rubber nose, which maybe, (laughs) like, I I have taken, and, and I remember one time when I was on the Rangers farm team, and I went in front of the net on the other, in front of the other team's goalie, and the defenseman grabbed both my arms and got them behind my back, and one of our guys in the team took a slap shot from the point, and a stick went down between the net where I was standing and the guy that shot the puck, and he deflected it, and my arms were tied up, and I couldn't react. It freaking hit me right in the nose. Of it. And uh, it doesn't, I can't say it hurts, but y- you know you just got a puck in the face, and blood was pouring out. And usually when you break your nose, that's the first clue right there, is when your nose starts bleeding quite a bit, you know the odds are you've broken your nose. So sure enough, my nose is just poured, the blood's pouring out of the nose. So I make my way to the bench. It's almost at the end of the period, and the trainer looked at it and goes, yeah, it looks like it's bent a bit. I think you broke your nose. I was pissed. I didn't want to, I don't think anybody wants to break their nose. but I, So we go between periods, and the visiting team's doctor comes into the dressing room, and they do, you know, when you're on the road and they said, anybody hey, need a doctor or you got to talk or this or that? And I said, doc, come over here. I said, I just got this slapjack right in the nose and the bleeding was starting to subside. The nose is swollen. And I said, did I break my nose? And he looks and he says, yeah, I think you did, buddy. So I, I, I know back in the early sixties, there was a man that was captain of Canada's national hockey league, national hockey team. And he was my coach, I hung around with his son, he was the same age as me, and he was talking about back in the day when they broke the nose, and what he told me, they used to do, they used to have a steel bar, and the doctors would stick it up your nostrils, and then push it over to the side to straighten your nose out, and he said, it hurt like you wouldn't believe. And so, the doctor, in my case, said to me, well, maybe we'll have to, uh, after the game, have a look at it, and maybe try to numb your nose. and straighten your nose out. And I said, do it right now in the dressing. My nose is still a little numb. Just push it back in place. And he said, oh, no, no, you'll be on the floor. I said, oh, just do it now. Get it over with. And so I was ready to have a lot of pain coming at me. And uh, whether I had pain then or, you know, after the game, it was going to hurt. So it was, like I said, it was still a little numb. And I remember hanging on to the bench and I said, okay, get her. So he grabbed my nose and he (laughs) twisted and it wasn't that bad. And and I had, you know, got tears in my eyes. And, and he said, you know what? He said, you're not on the floor. He said, usually you'd be on the floor in so much pain. He said, you didn't break your nose. So that was the closest I came to breaking my nose. But uh, again, like uh, your mother says, Chris, I must have a rubber nose.
1: And now we'll talk about another body part of yours. We'll talk about your feet. So I remembered when I was preparing for today's podcast that, You would play hockey without wearing any socks. So I wanted to know how common is that and why did you do that?
0: Well, as a kid growing up, I was always like, you know, when you grow fast, you know, you're, 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 you're bigger than the other kids and you're usually a little more uncoordinated at that age because you get kids that are relatively short and a little stockier, not big. And they seem to be a lot more coordinated on the ice than somebody who is taller, a little more lankier. And so I always wanted to be a better skater. And, you know, my dad, growing up, he wanted to save a few bucks. And I never had new skates until I got the junior. And we'd always get them. The community club would put on, like, secondhand skates for sale. And you could trade yours in and get a little credit and buy somebody else's. And that's how I always got my skates, was secondhand. And so my dad would buy them a size or two too big and you got to wear extra socks. So I used to think, you know, maybe that's why my skating wasn't as good as some of the others. I can get from A to B as fast as anybody else, but I didn't. I was probably working harder and I didn't look as smooth as those guys. So it had to do, again, with me being taller and not as coordinated. But I often thought it was maybe, and it probably was, that my skates were a little bit too big. So what about 15 years old? Um, I had talked to a fellow that told me, this is when Russia had their national team playing against our amateurs and, you know, not our best hockey players in the NHL. He went there to study the techniques uh, of what the Russians would do off-season, off-ice and on-ice, and I got to talk to this guy. One of the things he suggested that I do to strengthen my ankles was to get an old pair of skates and... Uh, run around my yard in the summer with skates on. And he thought, he told me, you know, I was going to try anything. You know, to put these skates on in the summer and just run around your yard. But I'd be hopping over my sidewalk and running around. So that was one of the things that I did. And the other thing this guy told me was, he said, you should try wearing your skates without any socks in it. And if I remember correctly, he said something like, You know, your feet can feel a little bit closer to the ice. And whatever his theories were, it kind of convinced me that, oh, well, it makes a little bit of sense. So even when, you know, I played outdoor hockey, I didn't wear any socks. I guess I have tough feet because you look at some of the hockey players' feet. They're pretty scary looking. Like they got corns and, you know, taking slap shots in the foot. They're pretty ugly, some of these guys. My feet. You know, when you get it back in those days, it was leather. And when you got leather skates on, oh, my God, like the blisters that you would get the first week or two. So I did get some blisters. But after you, what we were told to do is to take our skates, put them on, stick them in, with them on your feet in the jacuzzi and soak them down and then walk around the dressing room and they slowly start molding to your feet. So, you know, I think if I had to buy the skates, I don't know if I'd be sticking them in water, but because the hockey team bought it, I said, sure. So I put them in there and walked around, and and they do. They started molding to your feet. So since 15, I I mean, there's been times when I wish I would have worn socks, especially at training camp. Because training camp, you go twice a day, and they work your ass off in training camp. Like hard. You don't even want to go in the afternoon, but you do what you got to do. It's hard, hard, hard. Now, when you're going twice a day for two weeks, three weeks, your skates, uh, the leather skates, they start to stretch. They don't have time to dry. They eventually, over time, they actually start to stink. And so I said, oh, man, I got to maybe because you can wear the very thin. And you always wear white socks because they said if you got foot cut and you wore like colored socks, that the dye would come out and your cut would get infected. I don't know if that's true or not. So we always wore white. The people that wore socks would wear white socks, thin or thick, just their own preference. So I said, well, I got to maybe start wearing some socks in my skis. And I would try putting the thinnest pair of socks that they had in the dressing room. And believe it or not, my friggin' foot would start aching. And the arch, like it was painful wearing a little pair. And it shouldn't be, and it doesn't make any sense. But it felt so uncomfortable after years and years and years not wearing any socks, So, uh, again, I started at about age 15, and you'll find, at least at the pro level, and junior, I don't think anybody that I knew went without socks. But at the pro level, in my day, there was usually one guy in each team that that went without socks. Uh, Most of the guys' socks it was. So so that's the reason that I started not wearing socks, because I I thought that it would make me feel a little closer to the ice, and maybe that would help my skating.
1: So were you the only one in the dressing room? And did other people uh, follow your lead? You know, I think if I was Wayne Gretzky and
0: I went without socks, others would follow my lead. But for me, you know, they, 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 when you turn pro, you've already, whatever you've been doing works for you. So most of the guys at, at the later stages aren't changing anything at all. And so with myself, because I was 15 when I started going without, that wasn't
1: about to, to change anybody's way of doing things at the later stages in life. What we also want to do with this podcast is to talk about players that maybe are not, you know, the marquee players of the team. And so we will have different times where we'll say, OK, Google this player. So for this story, it's about Frank Beaton, which is B-E-A-T-O-N, I'm guessing, for the last ah, name. Yeah, that's right. And so Google him, because I guess you have a story well, about playing with him from the New York Rangers.
0: Well, it's not playing with him. I played against him. And you know, a lot of the tough guys in hockey, and I'm going to say the vast majority, there's a few idiots, and I won't say who they are. If you ran into him in a bar, like, they'd be, look, they were some of these guys were nasty, and it was insulting to me as a hockey player to see some of the pros acting like punks around fans and people, and uh, it was disgusting to me. And uh, Frank was somebody he wasn't a big guy, but he played a mean, aggressive type game, and he was one of the enforcers because he wasn't a 220-pound guy. I I don't remember, but I'm going to say the guy was maybe 180, 185, somewhere right around there. But he knew why he was there and what he had to do to stay in the pro hockey. And So he actually got a little bit of opportunity with the Rangers and they brought him up to be the tough guy. But again, when you're not a heavyweight in the NHL, expected to play that role against big heavy boys, it's a little bit tougher on you. And and so Frankie never got to show his value in the NHL, so he played most of his career in the minors. But I just mentioned to, to my son today, this I was I ran into Frank a few years ago here in Edmonton. He was in town, and we spent some time together. And, you know, we never talked before. You know, we kind of had respect for each other, and we started talking. I asked him, I said, is this a true story? And, and he said it was. And what the story was, I. it's just an interesting story depending what, what he told me, what I had heard is that he played in the world hockey for a team called, I, I want to say, Cincinnati Stingers. And the rumor had it, I, I said, hey, tell me if this is a true story, Frank. And apparently he had a brand-new car that he just babied and, you know, it was always polished and looked good. And he went to get some gas just before heading to the rink for a game. And the attendant who was filling up his tank was sloppy and he didn't really give two hoots about this guy's car and he spilled gasoline all over it and didn't even clean it up. So Frank confronted the guy about it. The guy got chirpy and so Frank did what Frank did, does, and he beat the guy up in the parking lot. And so he just drove away, went to the rink. Well, obviously this, uh, this attendant called the police on him and and I don't know if they got his license plate or he knew who the guy was. He probably didn't know who he was because they probably wouldn't have pushed Frank because Frank was a tough boy. So they probably called the cops. And so between the first and second period, Frank's in the dressing room. He just happened to be in the training room, as I understand it. And the cops, uniformed cops, come into the dressing room looking for Frank beaten because they want to arrest him for assault for what he did to this guy. And so he didn't want to get hauled away you know, there's not, a lot of the dressing rooms, there's not two or three exits out of the room, there's usually one at the most too, and so Frank, he felt trapped, he had nowhere to go to get out of the dressing room, so he ran into the stick room, and that's where, just a separate room where they keep all the hockey sticks, when you need new sticks for the game, you go in there and grab one off your rack, and to keep, this, um the, the, I don't know, if you haven't been in a dressing room or seen teams. They have what's called a stick bag. So if you go on the road for a week, two weeks, three weeks at a time, you got to bring enough sticks for the amount of games and practices. So each guy is bringing anywhere between, you know, depending how long you're on the road, four to ten sticks, you know, when you're on the road. And so they put him in these stick bags. That's how they carry them. And these bags, they're shaped like a long hockey stick. And these bags are meant to hold quite a few sticks and then they zip up on top so i had heard that when the cops were looking for him he didn't want to be found so he quickly ran into the stick room and he jumped in the stick bag and the guys zipped him up and then the cops searched the dressing room high and low and they couldn't find frank and then uh, they had to leave the dressing room and i don't know what happened after that if he continued the game or buggered off or went and got a lawyer but uh I thought that was pretty funny that, that anybody would jump in a stick bag. But he said, yeah, that was a true story.
1: We also have uh, an email that we'll read out. And if you want to send an email, it's view from the box at gmail.com. You can always tweet my dad at camconnernhl. And this is from Zach. And he says, hey, checking in from Virginia, which is pretty interesting. You wouldn't think uh, our podcast would hit Virginia and those areas, but it's nice to hear for sure. Uh, He says he loves the show. I discovered your show back in November. I really enjoy hearing about hockey from days gone by. Uh, Then he talks about that he would order a t-shirt as well. I haven't finished episode 16 yet, but I was wondering who Cam thinks is the toughest guy in the NHL today. I realize they don't fight like they did years ago, but there are still a few guys that drop the mitts. I really enjoy the show, and I hope you guys can keep doing it for a long time. Thanks for what you do. Well, you know, I'm
0: probably not the expert on who's who in today's... What do they got, 31 teams now? Um, I can't keep track of all of these players. I really you know, really don't know who's who on, on every team. And, and so if I... In my opinion, I mean, when you look at a guy like Chara, just from the outside looking in, and he's six eight six nine and whatever he weighs. He's not a skinny guy. When you see him fight, he we talked about long arms today. I've seen him fight. I've YouTubed him. And, and he holds the guys out with those And he's in terrific shape. So he's somebody that not only is big, but he's very strong. And his strength equals his size. So when you get a guy like him, he's going to be a hard guy to beat. So unless you can get that first punch in there, and land a good one right on his chin, the odds are he's going to get a hold of you, and you could probably be in a lot of world of hurt after that. I know with the Oilers, we have Milan Lucic, who, big, strong boy, he he likes, to, I don't know if the word is likes to fight, but he's certainly willing to fight, he knows he's a big guy, and, you know, he'll duke it out with whoever wants to duke it out. And and you're right, you know, with today's hockey that fighting is less emphasized because you can be just a little guy and you can play the role like a tough guy. You can go around cross-checking guys, playing their role. And then, you know, if Milan wanted to go, somebody cross-checked him and he went after him, all well, the guy just turtles, you get five minutes and, you know, your t- the power plays are pretty good today. And so your team would pay a price every time you go in the box. And so there's just not fighting it, you know, today. You might get two tough guys, one from each team. They go at it, and it's a fair fight, and then they turn sideways, which I've said before, I don't get that. You know, maybe if I turn sideways, you're not really gonna hit me very much, and I can't hit you very much. I'm sure, sometimes somebody slips or somebody's got some good arm strength that could pull a guy into an awkward position and get a couple of shots in there, but but to me I I, I just can't even think anybody in my mind that I could say by far he's the best fighter. Like back in the day, you know, when when there was a lot of aggressiveness in hockey, it was easy just to look at everybody's stats and take a look at the, you know, the penalty minutes and then watch
1: that guy and see what he brings to the table. But I I don't see that today, buddy. Okay. So before we talk about concussions and your thoughts on that, we wanted to welcome back our partner SeatGeek to the podcast. And so for people that are looking for concerts or sporting events, anything for a night out that has to do with an event, we go through SeatGeek. And so SeatGeek is a website, but it's also an app. And so we recommend going through the app. And they make it really easy for you to see the seats that are available on the days and times that work for you. And we are offering our listeners $20 off and If you put in the code PENALTY into the promo code, you will save $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. So they let us know that we've actually already had quite a few listeners who have saved $20. Just think about it. You go out, for sure you're going to a hockey game. You're going to some kind of concert. Why not go through SeatGeek, save $20, and get a good deal while you're at it. So you'll get a cheap price. You'll also save an additional... $20. So try out SeatGeek and uh, let us know what you think. So I thought talking about concussions would be a timely topic, unfortunately. And I feel like, and you can tell me if you agree, Dad, that the NHL didn't really start to take concussions seriously until some of their star players were taken out from concussions. So it started with Eric Lindros, but most recently Sidney Crosby. So I was wondering if you could talk about how concussions affected you back when you played, how they were dealt with, and if you feel like you have any lingering concussion symptoms even today.
0: Well, let's start with uh, you. You know, you said that when concussions started taking out their star players, the NHL started doing something about it. I disagree with that statement. I think that the NHL started doing something about concussions when the NFL lost a court case to. I believe it was the Players Association and their lawyers claiming that so many of their players have concussions. And when they've died and they've taken a look at the brain, that they can see that they definitely suffered traumatic injuries to the brain. And I believe it was only then that concussions got put on the front burner because I believe the number was somewhere around a billion dollars the NFL lost in a legal court challenge. So at that point, the NHL or any contact sport is looking a little bit more serious about, well, we do not want to be giving up any money in court cases, so we got to start taking care of the guys. And, you know, in their defense, the NHL's defense, when I played, and you've heard it from other guys that have played the game back in the day, we never heard the word concussion. I don't believe that uh, whether it was the World Hockey Association whether it was the NHL or the minor leagues, I don't believe anybody really knew about concussions. I would hope that if they if their team doctors had said, "You guys gotta start looking into you know brain injuries that somebody would have stepped forward It was just never mentioned that word concussion never ever, ever hit the dressing room from trainers, and the trainers you'd tell them, you know, hey, you know I'm seeing some stars or I got a headache." And they pretty well tell you, take an aspirin or it'll go away. And I I know personally of some times when, you know, I had some blows to the head where there was a stick or you got a puck in the head or you got cross-checked or, you you know, you fell wrong into the boards and you felt some pain and you felt some numbness in the head almost that things weren't coming very clear and it took a while to get rid of that fog. I don't think that anybody knew back in our day when there were six teams Definitely not, you know, and as the NHL expanded, and again, my thoughts are is when the NFL lost their court case, that's when it got the attention of the sporting world that you better start looking at this way more seriously and looking into it. So I think that's when it turned the corner. And I know for myself, you know, when I look back to try to think, when, when do I think I had concussions? You know, you never really know because nobody diagnosed it and said, you had a concussion. You as a player have to think back as to when you got elbows in the head. The NHL, they never made you wear helmets. So so today, you got to wear a helmet. And obviously, helmets will, doesn't prevent concussions because, again, you talked about Sidney Crosby and, and other stars. They wear helmets and they still got concussions, okay? You can get your bell wrong with a good shoulder check right to the head. And that's why now you get a penalty. But in my day, many times you got a shoulder right in the face, right in the side of the head. You got run from behind, and your head got smacked into the boards. Like it was pretty easy back in our day. But you didn't even miss a shift. And you know you might have been uh, hurting, and then you, you, just, you tell the trainer, "Well, I'm not quite ready to go out there." So you might miss miss a shift, but it wasn't because they told you you couldn't go out. It's because you just didn't feel like you could and other times you know I was uh you know in the penalty box for five seven minutes and and I had double vision and I couldn't see straight on the ice and then when my penalty was over my vision just came back and today we know I had a concussion and they will if they were I think I heard that there's somebody actually in the stands representing the NHL that will watch all the games, and if he thinks that somebody just got a hit that could cause a concussion, I think word sent down to the bench, that guy can't go on the ice, go give him a test. You know, he's got to answer questions, you do whatever you do behind closed doors. Somebody at that point says, yeah, you know what, you got some problems, you're going to stay off the ice, and you could be missing a matter of days, or a matter of weeks, or a matter of months. So I think that, I know for myself, you know, you never know, how do you know... The symptoms that maybe comes with getting older. Is it associated with you're just getting older and there's things you forget? Or is this actually sped along because you've had too many concussions or some concussions over the years? And I know myself, Chris, when you and I prepare for these podcasts and you say, you know, how about some good stories? I got to sit down and write things down and then rewrite them and rewrite them. My short-term memory is not good. I know that when I talk to people and they are given, even for business, I shouldn't even be saying this, but when somebody's telling me something, unless I'm making notes, I have, I kind of remember like the gist of what was just said, but I, I can't always come right back and pretty well say exactly what they said, whether it's in their words or my words. So I believe that I seem to have decent long term recall, but I know it's the short term. It scares me a little bit. I don't know. If it's just, again, just older age, as you get older, this just happens to everybody, or it shouldn't be happened to anybody, or it should happen later in life. I, I don't know that. The NHL has never reached out to the older players and said, how are you guys doing? Is there anything we can do for you to help you? Like, if there's anything we're going to get from the NHL, and I'm not dishing on them because Gary Bettman has done a great job for the game of hockey. He really has. But, you know, Everything from salary to pensions, like it's just its a whole new world today. And once you leave the game of hockey, especially if you were just a foot soldier, somebody that just had to work hard, because hockey, it's hard to make it to the top levels, it's even harder to stay up there. So, you know, everybody knows the Sidney Crosby's and the Gretzky's, and you can name all the superstars. That's not hard. The NHL always takes care of these guys. And, and, you know, it's the rest of the foot soldiers which makes up the majority of the rest of the players in the NHL. When your career's over, there's nobody that phones you or your old team to say, how are you doing? Yeah, I know you live in this city or you live in that city. We're just reaching out to you. Is there something we can do? You having any medical issues? That's unheard of. Nobody does that. And so, again, with what I'm going through and others, we don't know if it's uh, you know just comes with getting older or is it all related. Like you just don't know.
1: So then I have a question for you, and this will come from Letfield for sure. But would you ever donate your brain to science?
0: Well, I'm okay because when you're dead, you're dead, right? And uh, it'd be up to my family because I mean, you got my permission to if if there was any benefit to my brain. Going in any direction that that can help somebody else, then I'm I'm all for it for sure. Again, when you're dead, you're dead, and and if you can help the next generation or if there's anything positive that could become of me donating my brain, I, I'm all for it. Uh, but so the only thing is, I ask is, don't put me in an old folks home, please.
1: And not to end it on a, a morbid note, but uh, thanks for your thoughts on concussions. I'm glad that you have. Your long-term memory, because I know a lot of people are enjoying all your stories. So until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Cam, and thank you.